Hi guys, KO here. I have paused everything normal at Turmeric and Tequila to do a series of open mic sessions for people of color to come on and talk about injustice, race, where we are in this world in general, and just have an open platform for them to speak, for us to converse, uh, really whatever they want so we can really address what's going on and there is an additional space for voice to be heard. My first guest is the Raven Roberts. She's incredible. We first became friends at the Be Golden Conference in Bloomington, Indiana. Today we're talking about race, systemic racism, some of her experiences. She's now in New York and you know she has a, a ton of actionable items on her social media. Today we unpack some of those and it's some really great in-depth conversation around where we're at, what to do, how to address things uh, for black people, for white people when you get in situations that are, you, you know, a little touchy and things need to be called out. She exemplifies the definition of grace and strength and hope. Uh, I really invite you to listen into the end when she delivers a more than powerful quote that really sums everything up. and. It's a conversation that will be continued. So enjoy and please look forward to more opportunities and open mics just like this one. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Questioning a better way, one gracefully disruptive conversation at a time. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. Yes. Today's a special day. I have Raven Roberts on the mic in NYC. She's been on uh, Tumac and Tequila before. And it was our initial conversation was one point. Actually, it stands out in my life as a very optimistic point for humanity. I traveled to Bloomington, Indiana yes. uh, for the Be Golden Women's Empowerment Essentially Conference. And turmeric and tequila was new. It still is new. And I invited people to come on and talk mm -hmm. about you know, these heavy subjects and keep in mind, I had never met any of these guests. Uh, I'm a white girl with blonde hair coming from Colorado. My show is called Tequila. I'm like, I don't know how any of this is going to be perceived. And I was fortunate to have five women agree to talk with me and not just talk about the weather, like talk about intense subjects. Uh, so Raven, obviously a person of color, New York fashion, which I already had a life crush on her because that's... <laughs> um, she was so great to come on and we, we spoke about colorism. So mm -hmm. I'm going to let her, this is, I'm going to do a series uh, of open mics where anyone that wants to come on and voice um, their experience, where they're at, what's going on in the world. We're going to do that. So I'm going to do a quick intro for Raven and then I'm going to pass off the mic and we'll conversate, but I'm going to let her uh, lead and talk about everything that's on her mind. So we're going to talk about it. <laughs> Raven Roberts is a celebrity fashion stylist and founder of Own Your I Am. She is based in New York City and has quickly become one to watch in the fashion industry. With Own Your I Am, she aims to help women of color ease the lines of colorism and the social justice that comes from it by empowering women to own who they are and not what the world says about them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> there's there's the formal intro. Anything you want to add to that? Welcome. I, I, you, it's all you from here. Um, so Ko, thank you so much for giving our voices because this is not for me. This is for my community and um, the community at large, the Black community and Black men and Black women to have a voice on your platform. We definitely talked at length last time about colorism, and um, even for my organization, we have stopped all initiatives. Um, to focus on the bigger problem at hand, which is racism. Um, we have paused. We are just like, 
there's no time for this right now. We need to come together and fight this bigger cause. And for me personally, it has been to educate the white community about what they can do and how they can stand in the gap for black people. Um, This was given to me by God. And so I do it um, sometimes with a heavy heart as it is a very hard task to do um, day in and day out, even for just for this past week and a half. Um, I do think that it is necessary that we have these conversations that we inform people who are misinformed because that's what it is. A lot of people are ignorant to what is happening in this country because they've been misinformed their entire life about injustices and the way that black people have been treated and the systematic things that have been put in place for black people to be in the position that we're in. So with that, um, I definitely wanted to have this conversation with KO, who is an ally, who I love dearly. Like you said, we met in Bloomington, Indiana. Shout out to B. Golden, okay? Um, which was having these race conversations months ago. And as we have talked about before, it really disheartened me to listen to these conversations happening and knowing that they were not happening in New York. The fact that these things were happening in in middle of America, where you really don't think that these conversations are being had, the amount of seenness that I felt in that community from especially white women who were like, we see you, we understand what you're going through and we acknowledge it was phenomenal. Um, And I encourage more white people and people of color because this is not just a white black thing, you know, because of the narrative that white people have put out and white media has put out, you know, this is an Asian and black thing. This is a Latin and black thing. This is not just a white and black thing. So we call on, you know, our Asian brothers and sisters and Latino brothers and sisters, you know, all the communities of color to really rally with us and become allies in this situation. Um, And we're not saying that you also are not disenfranchised. You're not systematically oppressed. We're not saying that. What we're saying is that black people predominantly have been systematically oppressed more than most other racial groups. And that's it. And so for us to, we have to rise up so that everyone can rise up. We can't just, you know, take the top people and be like, oh, we're going to start from the top and work from the bottom. If we work from the bottom, it rises everyone else above them as well. So we're fighting for justice for you as well, not just us. So to be an ally, okay, because let's get into it. Um, I heard two things on a, a video and it was mainly that to be an ally is a verb. It is an action. You can't just be like, I'm going to post my black square. I'm an ally. No, it is an action verb. What else are you doing? You know, the act of just doing something very passively is not doing it actively. You have to actively be fighting against oppression, against racism, against social injustice, against microaggressions, um, and really talking out and speaking out about it. And, And I like to say you have to stand in the gap. Because my voice is not as amplified as yours, no matter how loud I can be. It is not. So I need you to stand in the gap for me. And when someone tells me that I'm not black, black, you correct them. When someone tries to touch my hair, you say, that's inappropriate. 
you know, there's things that you can say. I can definitely tell you not to touch my hair. And I can tell you why it's inappropriate because I'm not a zoo animal. Okay. Like I'll touch them either. Actually, <laughs> Yeah. That's just like, why are you touching people? Like you shouldn't be touching pregnant women. You don't know. You shouldn't be talking. Like, why are you touching people? Especially un- you haven't even asked. I don't even know your name. So that's a whole nother subject, but you know, standing in the gap for these things. I saw a white woman, this was years ago. Okay. And so there's people who've been doing this for years. Racism isn't a new thing. Racism just didn't happen because we had COVID and then, oh my God, there's racism. Racism has been happening. Thankfully, you guys are now seeing it. Okay. But racism has been happening. So this woman, she said, she said, every time I see a black person stopped by the police, I am also stopping. I am making sure that that black person leaves that encounter alive. That is how you be an ally. Wow. That is how you use your privilege to insert yourself into situations that you know that you can be a voice over his. He can tell the officer all day he doesn't have a gun. We have heard it. We have seen it. He still can leave that encounter, not resisting, complying all the way, and now he's dead. So you have to stand in the gap. You have to insert yourself into situations to say, I'm not going to let you mistreat this person. And whatever that mistreatment looks like, it could be at work for equal pay. It could be in front of the police. It could be in a boardroom. You know, when someone, a black person or a person of color speaks up and their voice is not heard, and then some white person comes and says the exact same thing, it, whoa, whoa, whoa. That was so-and-so's idea. Like she legit just said that. Step up, say something. Because if I say something, I'm an angry black woman or I'm making an issue out of everything or why does everything have to be about race? I didn't make the things about race. I didn't found this country. You know, this is not me making things about race. It's making me make, I'm making you see that your country made it about race and that that's a problem. I like, uh, I don't want to, mm-hmm. I like what you said to me before we jumped on the mic when you're saying I want, cause I, I mean, this is my first cast of these open mics and I'm learning and evolving, uh, yeah. all my white counterparts, hopefully. Um, and you said, you know, no, I want to converse. I want to talk about this. And I, and, and, and I had said in my marketing brain, that makes a lot of sense because when you hire somebody on, uh, you know, a celebrity to endorse a product, it's now more digestible for the rest of the world. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm a fan of this too. So I just, I, I wanted maybe position some things in different light. Cause I, it's like sports cues to me, like they'll hear it from one coach and it say hits and another coach it doesn't. So I'll, I'll try and chime in those, but I really liked that example that really resonated for me. So I think even simple stuff like that, it's like, Oh, we can further cultivate that awareness of the day-to-day actions. Like you said, pulling over when someone else pulls over. I really like that. Like those little things I think are, are really good for people to hear and kind of just check, put, put the dot in, you know, the brain that. that Yeah. It's, it's just one of those things that it has to be done. Yeah. And sadly it has to be done, but for the lives of black people, it has to be done. So this woman's son can go home alive. It has to be done. And that is why people are protesting. It's not only for George Floyd. It is not only for Breonna Taylor. It is for the nameless black people who we haven't, excuse me, who we haven't seen videos of, you know, who we haven't gotten justice for. We're saying enough is enough and it's time for change. We're done. This George Floyd was the straw that broke the camel's back. That is it. He was not the person that was like, oh my God, we now need to fight for him and only him. 
we were just fed up. Yeah. We just said, this has gone on long enough and we're tired of it. And especially because four black people, five, including Ahmad, because we found out about him around the same time, even though he was killed two months earlier, before we even saw the video, had been killed in the same month. That is a problem. We have a police problem. And I'm not saying that white people don't get killed by the police because they do. You know, when you look at the statistics, a black man is three times more likely to be killed by the police than a white man. That is a problem when we make up 13% of the population. A black man is 1.3 times more likely to be unarmed during that shooting. That is a problem. And that is what we're saying. We're not saying that white people don't get killed by the police. We're not saying that. We're saying that there is a disparity in the amount of people who are getting killed by police. There's also a disparity in the amount of people who are getting justice for those killings. This is pretty much one of the first times that someone has even been fired because they have killed a black person while being on duty as a, an officer. Where in previous times, they have been suspended with pay. And it's a problem. Like I heard a story about a police officer who killed a dog some years ago and was fired. Do you understand how that makes me feel as a black person? That if you take a black life, you are now suspended with pay. But if you kill a dog, you are fired. Yeah. Like, I don't understand how you can even think that I'm like, oh, it's fine. That's not injustice. That's not a problem. But you shouldn't be. I mean, that shouldn't ever be the action. What can I ask you? Why? Why do you think it was, you know, with all with multiple killings that have been going on now? We had, you know, a few in a row. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it was George Floyd that that the straw that broke the camel's back? Why was it not before? Like what what was different about this? Do you think it was the video, the nature of the video? Um, why I do think that I think that it was the disregard that the officer had for his life. OK. Um, and I just think that it was just another straw. It's not saying that Ahmad's death was less traumatic. You know, that he is running in the streets and was shot down. It's not saying that Sean Reed's was less traumatic. It's not saying that Stephen Taylor's was less traumatic. They were all extremely traumatic. You know, Eric Garner pretty much died in the same way. Yeah. It was literally just like, enough is enough. Yeah. This is too much. We are dealing with a pandemic. And on top of that, Black people have to deal with getting killed. Yeah. It was too much. It was just like, you know, we have on one hand, we have Black people getting killed by police. We have Black people being beaten by police for not wearing a mask when our white counterparts get handed a mask with a smile. We have white people repeatedly calling the police on Black people. All of this happening at the same time. And we just said enough is enough. And disproportionately, CV-19 is impacting the community of color, predominantly 
more than the, the white community. There are more deaths. There is a higher unemployment rate. Like a friend of mine, she called out her company because, you know, it's great that these companies are speaking out. But if you're speaking out and you're not doing anything about it and you're speaking out just to be on trend, we don't need you to speak out. Yeah. Keep keep your black square. Keep your little image. Keep all of that because we don't need it. What we need is action and allyship. I don't need your false allyship. I don't need it because if you're not behind your closed doors doing what you need to do and doing the work, you putting this black square on social media is more for you than me. Well, and I, I, I saw one of your videos, um, which have been great, by the way, if, if you're looking for a good source to, you know, really dive in and really get just some raw, straightforward feedback, please tune into what Raven's doing. It's completely from the heart. It pains me on all levels to see you in tears and these things. And we talked about, you know, yes, that's white guilt. And yes, I look at you as a friend and a black person. I, I can't, but help. I don't, I don't ever see it really like it's not really white guilt. Okay. It's empathy. You see your friend hurting. If I see you hurting, it's not black guilt. You're hurt. Okay. And that's why, you know, my videos, I was like, I need people to see that this is hurting someone that they know. Yeah. This is not just hurting, you know, black people. I didn't want to just be like, oh, I'm just going to post things and people will see it and da, 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 da. No, I need you to understand that this is affecting people that you know horribly. You know, the people that you know are distraught. The people that you know are hurting from the death of this man and from the continuous deaths at the hand of police. And so that's why I went to my Instagram and sobbed on my Insta stories. That's why I talked about, you know, allyship. And in there, I, I was angry, okay? But at the same time, like, I, there's no more time to handhold white people through racism. We are at war. There is a war happening against social injustice. Either you're standing up or you're sitting down. It doesn't really matter to me which side you're on, but if you're sitting down, I know where you stand. Yeah. So you can be quiet. You can, I've seen people, you know, I saw this guy, he, he, I don't follow him, but a friend follows him and he posted him and his friends holding up this Trump 2020. I know where you stand. Yeah. This is like, this is not the time for that. Cute, cute, cute. This is not the time for that. But now you've told me that you stand with racism. So don't, don't be upset when I call you a racist. I like when you, you had brought out, and again, this is my branding brain, but it doesn't come from a, an agenda of business ever. Mm -hmm. really, I, I'm so passionate about disrupting the dollar because I know how much you have money and, and you have power and then you, you control a lot. And I would also encourage people to watch Jeffrey Epstein's special on Netflix and you see how you, he literally made a deal with the FBI and that was a story I think more about, or was a story more about women and these are white women and the FBI didn't return their calls either. However, I just think it's, it's, it's such a position of how we need to disrupt the dollar in order to further infiltrate the conversation around equality, race, sexuality, everything. Um, but I like when you talked about, you know, people posting and you, you, you encourage people to post so far as, you know, the actions follow around it. And then you said something that stood out to me, you go, but what if that disrupts my brand or I don't want to post it because it doesn't align with my brand. And it, it mm -hmm. really, this all makes me sick to my stomach, but that in itself, I'm like, time out. We need to be humans first and a brand second. And as a branding professional, it made me, marketing gets a bad rap anyways, justifiably so, but it really made me sick that I work with these big companies about humanizing their brand. We're not in the 1950s anymore.
don't need to be this perfect non-human thing. Like, yes, please show your emotions. If you are angry, you need to be angry. If you're happy and honestly, but if you have an all pastel pink Instagram and you're worried about a black square throwing off that brand, oh my God, you need to check yourself on a human level before a business level. And if you don't, even if your heart's not in the right space, if you don't think people aren't going to see through that and not be okay with it, you're crazy. I can't advise you as a branding professional and I won't, but I like that's, there's a, a larger combo there. The thing is like, I'm also worried about the aesthetic of my feet, you know, like as black people, we're not just immune to being, to seeing what our feed looks like, you know, and for the resources that I've created, minus the ones, you know, for allies, if they didn't know what to post, I was like, here, I'm about to put together these quotes that you can post. I'm going to put together like a black square and a, this is black lives matter. Like you can't, there's no longer, I don't know what to post, post this. Okay. If you're going to post anything, post this. But at the same token, if you're worried about your branding and you're worried about your brand colors, create things in those colors. Like it is not that hard. I have created my entire white privilege post was in my brand aesthetic. Truth. Like my whole thing where I, I listed out all the names of Ahmad and Sean and Steven were in my brand colors with my brand um, fonts. So there is no excuse. Canva, you can hire someone on Fiverr. If you don't know how to do it yourself, hire someone on Fiverr. They're out there. They're waiting for work. Yeah. Like there is no excuse. Your aesthetic is not an excuse because you can create things that are in your aesthetic. And I think it's okay if it stands out. Like I don't, I'm, I hear what you're saying on all levels. No, it, but that's what I'm saying. Like it's, it's fine. It, like it is definitely okay. Like it needs to stand out on your feet. It definitely does. But if you're worried by, about your aesthetic, your aesthetic is not an excuse because you can create things in your aesthetic. Like it's, it's not an excuse. It's, it's literally a empty excuse to say, I'm not here to do the work. If you're that worried about your aesthetic, cause trust me, sis is okay. Like I want my brand to come across. Okay. But at the same time, I'm creating things in my aesthetic. I'm creating, you know, slide through things in my aesthetic because at the end of the day, I still want this to be my voice. I still want people to see my brand, you know, and understand that like, Hey, this is Raven's voice. I saw this. This is Raven. This is over here is Raven. Yep. That's Raven. Because I need you to understand that I care about this. I care enough about this to make this in my aesthetic. I care enough about this to not just repost what everyone else is posting. Do you think this, do you think this carries over? Like if I'm worried about my brand on Instagram, perhaps I'm out in my turmeric and tequila shirt, which, you know, mm -hmm. I, am, uh, that I don't, I won't say something because like, do you think there's carryover IRL in real life where I feel muted essentially, ironically on mm -hmm. social media to where that would carry over into real life where like, oh, I'm not going to say something today. Uh, because I think at the end of the day, if you're worried about your brand's message, you need to see what your core values are. And if it's not to fight for social justice, and if it's not to fight up for the people who do not have a voice, then we don't really need your allyship. Like we need people who like, again, ally is a verb. Yeah. So you need to take action. Again, if you're worried about your aesthetic, 
it actually shows more of an interest to create something in your aesthetic. You're actually putting in work. You're not just reposting a photo. You're actually saying like, I took my time or I took my money to pay someone to do this. There's a ton of black people who are doing that. They're creating visuals and creating a brand about around their visuals. I was on one woman's page. All of her visuals look the same. You know what she's doing? Fighting injustice with all of her visuals. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you can't say that like, oh my God, my aesthetic, my aesthetic. Create the visuals you want to see. And also with people who are posting, because I've seen some black influencers, you know, calling out white influencers for being like, oh my gosh, here's black businesses that you need to support. You definitely need to start supporting black businesses. Black people are not the only people that should be supporting black businesses, point blank, period. That is how to be an ally. And, but you're not crediting, you know, these people are putting out these lists of black businesses, but you're not crediting the sources in which you got those lists. Mm. You're now saying that like, oh, look at me, I did this. No, 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 no. There's a black woman who did it before you and she should be credited for her work. Is there um, an app or, or something? Because I was thinking in my mind, I'm like, you know, I went down to the protest and I saw this and, I'm, and, I'm, but I, and I know I have a platform. I'm, I'm down to use whatever angles I have, yeah. but I couldn't help just be like, what, what next steps? Are there like apps out there that can streamline this process? Because America is a place of convenience and I do. Yeah. And, you know, that's a whole other podcast on like the cost of convenience because that's it's huge. Uh, and yes, in the way we yeah. food and media, everything, culture. Uh, is there an app or a website where it's like, uh, drugstore or burger place. And it's like a list of black businesses. We, I feel like we as a community are getting that together. Cause even for us, it's hard to find black owned businesses. Gotcha. Um, and have that is like one resource. There are definitely a bunch of websites that I can send you. Um, there is an app called eat okra, which is all black restaurants um, in America. And so you just put in your neighborhood and then the list of black restaurants, excuse me, the list of black restaurants come up. Um, there are definitely, if you just Google black fashion brands, there's a ton of people who have already put in the work to put them out there on a website. Um, there's also a website called shop black S H O P P E and then B L A C K. And they have a great resource and a great website about supporting black businesses, supporting businesses of the diaspora. Um, So yeah, it's literally, we also have to research these things. It's not like we have this secret app that, you know, the white community doesn't know about. I wish we did. Um, That we could just. Someone's got to streamline some of that, but if it's already out there and I, and I have not done research in depth on my end, I just think those things, knowing like approaching other issues in this world environment, what have you, you have to make it easy for mainstream to see and fine. We can argue that later, but I'm, I'm down to play the game if it disrupts the norm. Yeah. It's we're starting to collect all the information so it can be more comprehensive because some of these websites in the past have not been very comprehensive. So with everything that's going on, like we see the protesters, there's also a bunch of black people behind the scenes who are not at the protest. So like, don't think that every black person in the world is at these protests because we're not. There are some people that are behind their computer researching organizations to to donate to. They're researching black businesses. They're researching more black history to make that more comprehensive and easy for people to access. Like I literally just got a Google drive link of like all of these resources 
for um, Black history. So like people are doing the work. It's just going to take us a little time. Like we're a weekend. We just been dealing with the stuff that we had before. Like, okay, this is going to work. We're just going to use this incomplete list. And so now we're like, you know what? Like you said, the dollar talks and we realizing that we need to put money back into our own communities and really service those communities. Not that we're not patronizing any other businesses, but the black dollar does not travel as far as any other community of color. So we really have to make sure that we're feeding back into these communities so that we have better school systems, so that we have, you know, better businesses and more entrepreneurs happening um, in this country and in this world. So, so yeah, so we're doing the work. It's not complete, but we're doing the work to get something together. I would love an app um, that just houses all of this information so that people have it at their fingertips and I've also been thinking about being the one that creates that app. So we'll see, don't put that out on the podcast yet, but you know, we'll, we'll see, but we're definitely trying to get it because just as white people don't want to search for these things, black people also don't search for these things. So it's like, we have to make things easy for people. And if I can be in target and look up the black brands that are in target so that I can shop them while I'm in target, that's what I'm going to do you know, on an app versus being like, oh, I have to do all this research before I go. Or if I pick up something, I'm like, are they black owned? I don't really know. Because there's a lot of products that we think are black owned, but they're actually have, their owners have sold the company. And so now they're no longer black owned, you know? So making sure that that information is easily accessible in one place versus 25. Yeah. So I'm, I'm with you on the app. Okay. Well, Say all that. I'll keep an eye out, but you keep me posted. And I definitely will. Rate that message. And I, I think, you know, within that, I think there's a nice little unifying American point. Like as Americans, we want it easy. We want it like right now, because that's what we're used to. So yeah. in, in the, the, the midst of this division, that is, there are these little ironic unifying points as Americans. Um, At the end of the day, we're all people. Yeah. That's it. That's why we're asking for equality, because we are not different from you. We're not that much different from you, you know, to where it's like, you aren't as equal as me. That's literally all we're asking for. Like we bleed the same, we cry the same, you know, all of these things. I just have a little bit more melanin than you do KO and that's okay. That's what's up. (laughs) It's, I mean, it's such, it's the most simple point in this conversation to think that we have one thing different. I mean, there's many things I know we have different, but like one thing, and then you unpack all the things that we actually do have in common. And I am fortunate to have many friends of, of many races. And I think, you know, if what, uh, how unfortunate it would be for me to not have those people in my life because of one thing we don't have in common. And you really, if you really sit with that and unpack that, I'm like, damn, the, the, the humans around me, you are the five people you are the mo- around the most. And to think yeah. that certain people wouldn't be in my life because of one thing, like, yeah. damn, it's hard to make friends as it is in this world, especially as you get older. And to know that, you know, we couldn't have these conversations and, and then the little things we do that reverberate in my life that I now bring back to my family and like this little ripple effect of change to think that that wouldn't happen. Yeah. When you really sit with that, like, damn, that. It, it makes you sad. It's hard because a lot of white people, they do have white guilt. They do have a lot of white fragility. Yeah. So that's why they can't have these hard conversations. That's why I was so proud, surprised about Bloomington. Cause I was like, 
<laughs> you told me you're like, I thought Chelsea was black. I'm like, acceptable. First of all, I definitely thought Chelsea was black. But I was just like, oh my God, like how are you guys having these conversations? So just like openly and wanting the like not to be handheld. They're like, no, like I need the facts. I need to know what's going on. Like I want to know. And I was just like, and that was be golden. You're, I think five, four or five. Yeah. Like they've been doing this. I mean, a credit to Chelsea, shout out to Chelsea and Sarah. Yes. Um, they are really forwarding this message. And even that I want to say is they're way ahead of the game, but it's late to the game in general. Like we're late to this conversation all the way around. It's such an amazing space. And I hope that they can do it on such a grander scale, you know, eventually. And I do like the smallness of it. Like I love that they can have these like smaller conversations because that's when they need to be had. So even if it's just like a U.S. tour, come on, Chelsea. Okay. We're going around the country talking about race and it's more than that. But the fact that they have race conversations multiple times a day, I was like blown away because I didn't really look at the agenda and then when, like, you know, I heard the woman at uh, the opening say that she was listening to the 1619 Project because as a black woman, to see a panel full of white women, I was like, here we go. What is this? Like, okay. And then for her, to, like, it was literally the last thing that was said yeah. for the entire panel, you know? And it's not that I'm not going to listen, but I was just like, okay, so y'all didn't have no people of color that y'all could have got for this panel? That's fine. Um, but when she said that, she was like, look, I'm listening to the 1619 Project. It talks about this, that, and the third. And I was like, okay, let me see what the agenda is on this conference. Like, what is really going on over here? And I was like, oh my gosh, there's literally conversations every single day talking about race. And every conversation that I went, went into was filled with white people. Mm -hmm. And I was like, y'all are really showing up for these race conversations? Yeah. And Bloomington's oh. a red state. Like, it's yes. really the middle of America. So you didn't, I mean, I think your pre-notions, I think for justified because uh, it, it is surprising and it's, and the good news is while it's small, it's, these are community leaders. These are people mm -hmm. that have packed and voice and can be brand ambassadors, if you will, of change and yeah. heavy conversation. Um, on that note, can we talk a little bit about how you said um, how some of your white friends are coming to you the right and wrong way? Yes. Um, so the right way as an ally to come into or check on your black friends during this time is to, you can express your sympathy to say like, you know, I am heartbroken of what is happening. Ask how they are doing. I've had friends that literally have come to me. Like, I don't, I can't comfort you in this time. That's when the white tears come in. Yeah. Okay. KO. Like that's when the white tears come in when they're just like, Oh my gosh, I'm so distraught. I'm sorry, I have to live this. Like you should become, you have to come and comfort your, your black friends. It is not their job to comfort you and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. So sorry that you're just now realizing racism exists. Yeah. That is how you be an ally. You know, if my leg is broken, you can't come to me and be like, oh my God, I got a paper cut. <laughs> like... Do you not see my leg? My bone is hanging out my leg. Like, what are you talking about right now? So it's knowing how to sympathize for people. So I've had people who do that, who are just like, oh, I'm just so distraught over what's happening. Oh, I need to talk to you soon. Like they want an ear, they want your ear to listen. And I'm just like, but you even, you haven't even asked me how I'm doing. 
You haven't even said anything to me like, hey, how are you? And those are the people that I've really, you know, taken note of. Because I don't, look, I don't have a lot of white friends. I've got white acquaintances, but I don't have a lot of white friends. Because if you don't know your privilege before now, we're not friends. If you don't understand that racism exists, we're not friends. Because before this, I didn't have no time to teach white people about social injustice. Now, I have the time. So this has been my thing that I, you know, that God has given me to do. And so I'm like, okay, this is what I need to do. But because when you tell me I don't see color, you're not seeing what my people are going through. So I don't have time. I don't, I don't need friends like that. Yeah. You can say that you're not racist all you want to and not saying that you are, but the fact that you're saying you're choosing to be blind to the things that are going on to me and my people in this country. So I need you to see color. I need you to not judge color. That's what I need you to do. I need you to see my color. I need you to see that I'm a black woman and that there's things in this country that I go through that you have no idea about. I need you to see that. And so, you know, I've had, I was posting a lot. Well, I'm still posting a lot because, you know, it's still happening. Yeah, you're, but, you're, dude, you're good on it. I, I try and keep up and I'm like, damn, she is like. I am on my phone all day, every day. So I'm like, oh, this one's good. Let's post that. Let's post this. Um, as a consultant and or as just someone, in, I, we've already talked about this. Like, you know, I want you to do consulting on all levels, but, yes. um, but anyways, stay with your flow. So I was posting and, and, you know, this, this white woman, she came into my DMS and I know her, I've known her for years now. She's, she is an acquaintance. She's not a friend. She's an acquaintance. So we just make that clear. Um, and she was just like, I'm so overwhelmed by what you're posting. I'm sorry. What? Ma'am, I have to live this. And you're overwhelmed by one day. And she was like, I just feel as though like, God, we need to pray about this. And just God would want peace. I said, Jesus was also flipping tables. So you do what you need to do. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I'm not about to be over here. Like, woo, woo, woo. So sorry. No, like, ma'am, I have to live this. And thankfully she posted, I, she may have seen my live about being an ally and she posted and has been posting. And that's the whole purpose. Like you're not going to get everything right but I'm also not going to be here to coddle you when you get things wrong. You know, I am going to correct you and say like, yeah, this is not okay. There was another girl who came in my DMs and these are usually the problems that I have with when it comes to interracial dating is you don't really understand that racism is a thing. You don't really understand that social injustice is a thing. So I don't understand how you can date someone, especially a black man or a black woman have black children and not understand the injustices that that child is going to face, that your spouse has to face and not fight or speak up for them. Like, I don't understand that. It doesn't make any sense. So I had another white woman who has a black boyfriend, fiance or whatever. And she's like, I'm just so distraught. I just, last night I just rolled over and like held his hand. Like, I just didn't know what to do. I'm once again, why are you here? Like, why are you telling me this? Like, I don't, okay, you need to be talking to your black boyfriend about this. Not me. Anyways, I was just like, okay, you know, yes, it's, it's a lot for everyone. Like, I'm, I don't know what to do at this point. Cause like, 
what do you want me to say to you? Bless your patience. I feel like you just need to screen because like literally at the end of the day, you only have so much energy. I don't know how you, I mean, that's kind of you genuinely, like you must be blessed with patience. Because I'm, I'm usually looking at my phone like this. Yeah. So, you know, and then she went on to say how, you know, she's going to the Hamptons this summer because she's a doula for this wealthy family who are in the top 10% of this nation. Again, why do I care? Wow. So I was just like, okay, cool. Are you donating? You know? And so she was like, they just don't know what's happening in this country. This is time for me to correct you, ma'am, because they absolutely know what's happening in this country. I said, they may not know the day to day. They may not know George's name. They may not know Ahmad's name. I said, but you cannot say that they do not know that there is a systematic thing put in place to keep black people under the poverty line. You cannot tell me that. And she's like, oh yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, I think if you say that you consciously disregard what's going on, which in America, I will say like our military, our culture works hard so we can just live fat, dumb and happy blindly. Like, I think that's an American thing. A hundred percent. That mean that being said, that does not mean you don't know what's going on. You choose to not acknowledge it and you choose, it's easier to just be blind to things. So, and that's a whole other thing to unpack. Like, I'm like to say that a group of people who literally run the policies in this country don't know what's going on. I'm sorry. I was just like, I was like, now I have to speak up because before I was just like, okay, cool. Okay. Like, cause I just really, I was just like, when are you getting out of my DMs, ma'am? Like, oh, you're still talking. Oh wait. Okay. So now we really need to speak up. And that's been the biggest thing is just, you know, I also, I was in an exchange with a black friend today who's a Republican. And I was just like, she wrote this whole thing. Cause I tagged her in a post because she follows this black Republican who was out here spewing all kinds of falseness. And I was like, you guys need to know who you're following. And I tagged her in it. Her tag was hidden because I'm not going to put you out on front sheet like that, but I am going to tag you. So you get the notification of my Insta story. And she was appalled that I, why would you tag me in this? I hope it was not for harm. Ma'am, if it was for harm, I would have showed your name. Yeah. You know, and I said it was not for harm. Or I would have left your tag unhidden. Can we? She's like, can we unpack that a second? I, I, I mean, is she genuinely a Trump supporter? Like, I know this is not you. Know, I don't want to speak on behalf of anyone, but yeah, I don't. I don't understand. I don't understand that. To be honest, like, I don't. I don't understand it either. A lot of her beliefs. I have not come out to ask her if she's voted for Trump, but a lot of the things that she has been for, and a lot of the beliefs that she has, and the fact that she follows this woman who is blatantly for Trump. Mm-hmm. leads me to believe that she has voted for Trump. You know, she spoke up against the kneeling and how, you know, disrespectful it was to the flag and all of these things. And I was like, but you have a black husband and black children. Hmm. These people are kneeling for him and for they're kneeling for you as well. Cause you're not just because you're mixed doesn't mean that you're like, you've given grace and like white people are not prejudiced against you. Yeah. Okay. Like, that's not what the situation is. So these people are kneeling for you, your husband, and your black son. And you want to speak up and say that this is unpatriotic. You want to speak up and say, this is not right for them to do this. And then every time somebody gets like banned or fined, you want to be like, yes, this is right. No, ma'am. 
Yeah. No, I, I don't, as, as a female, and it's completely different, but as a woman, I don't know how women vote for him because of what he said, how he treats women in general. And I couldn't imagine if it was a person, if I was a person of color and I saw it. So I just genuinely asking for seeking yeah. that because I, I genuinely don't understand. No, it, it's, it's insane. The amount, especially the amount of black conservatives who speak up against any injustice in this country or speak like against people speaking up about injustice. They're very much like, you know, white liberal or not white liberals, white conservatives who are like, just come up from your bootstraps. And another thing about racism, racism is not just for people in the ghetto. Okay. Like that is not any kind of like truth to that. You do not get killed or you do not get um, accosted just because you live in the ghetto. I have seen, I have heard stories about, you know, this black woman who lives in a white neighborhood who the police were called for a noise complaint who got taken to jail for a noise complaint in front of all of her guests. She notified all of her neighbors that she was having a party on like a Friday night but she got taken to jail for a noise complaint. I saw an FBI agent accosted by police saying that he fit the description and that they knew it was him and he had warrants and all of these other things. And he literally was like, this is not me. It is you. They put him in handcuffs. And then when they took out his wallet and saw his FBI license or ID, they were like, oh, excuse my friend. Oh shit. Mm-hmm. And had to uncuff him immediately. He asked for everybody's cards. He wanted to see the supervisor because it's like, you're not going to profile me. And I'm sitting here minding my own business saying that I frit the description and you know that I have warrants. You know, they're the man in the park. He is a Harvard education. This I'm woman so happened to somebody uh, of that. Cause then he was the spokesperson on, you know, all these news channels and he could say it, you know, and, and light this situation perfectly. I mean, it was, uh, things happened for a reason, but it was nailed it. Black people are exhausted. And recently I just found out it was literally within a 24 hour period. All of this happened with the black man in the park, George Floyd. There was a white man. He was a pastor he was, he said that he was kidnapped by a black man. He was actually having an affair on his wife in a hotel. There was another woman who accused two black men of killing her son when it was actually her. So this is why black people are tired. We are constantly put into mess that we have nothing to do with. And if there was no video of this woman killing her son, those two black men would be in prison. But we want to talk about how high the prison rate is for black people. All black people have to do is be accused by a white person to go to jail. That is it. Whether it is right, whether they are a criminal, whether they have actually committed the crime, they do not care. We saw it with the um central park five okay like this is history these are things that keep happening and people don't understand that the system is not for black people the system is not for us to win and when we cry these things out it's like 
oh, well, no, like you guys are being dramatic or you're just being lazy or you're just being this. I come from a middle-class black family in California, okay? I never needed or wanted for anything. But at the end of the day, I can still say I've experienced racism. I've experienced profiling. I've experienced all of these things. So you can't tell me that like, oh, it doesn't exist. Da, 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 da. Like, no, it's not a thing. Do you hear that a lot? Do, is that the experience, you know, that, that this isn't a thing and, and whatnot? I, I do hear it a lot. Like I said, I limit the interactions that I have with white people because I don't want to hear it a lot. Yeah. Um, but it is that very microaggression. You don't talk black. You're not black black. Or they say things in front of you because, you know, you speak proper, you know, or whatever. So it's like, oh, well, she's not really black. So like I can say these things and she won't be offended. No, I'm super going to be offended. And I'm going to call you out that you shouldn't say these things. And then when you call them out, they're like, but you're not black, black. What is black, black? What does that even mean? You know, even in my industry as a black stylist, I have to be aware of the black people that I'm styling or the amount of black people, not the black people I'm styling, but the amount of black people I'm styling. And now I don't even care. Okay. But when I first started out, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't have that many black people in my portfolio because I'll be seen as an urban stylist, which means I can only dress black people. Jeez. I'm confused. Doesn't everybody have a body? How can I only dress black people? Like that doesn't even make any sense. So these things are happening. These things. And when you call it out, they're like, no, no, that's not really a thing. No. As a black stylist, I am seen, I'm judged harsher. So like all of my samples have to come back in pristine condition. They have to come back on time. Like there is no chance for error for me where there is with my white counterparts. That's not a thing. Like I have, I don't have the luxury to be off, you know, even in college, they're like, you need to be twice as good to be seen as equal. Whereas in FSU school of business, they needed a C average at FAMU. You better have a B. There is no time. Like you cannot, because when my resume comes across that table, I need, my stuff has to be amplified to just be seen as like the same as someone who has a C average. Well, and on that note, can we talk a little bit, we hear a lot about, and I want to read this too, Mm -hmm. um, systemic racism. And I don't know, I I think people kind of understand it, but maybe don't. And I think it's something we're hearing a lot in the media and how ingrained it is in just our society. And again, I'll revert back to marketing just like to make a very simple example. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so ingrained who we are. Like if you reach for a tissue and you say, "I'm, I'm reaching for a Kleenex, the brand is so ingrained in your brain now made the brand synonymous with the thing. Um, and I think that's an example of like, we don't, I'm not consciously saying I'm here to support Kleenex. I'm just calling a tissue a Kleenex. It's just, it's yes, uh, it's just there. We do the same thing. Like if you're searching for something, I'm just going to Google it. Now everybody says that they're, they're going to Uber everywhere versus like, whether it's a Lyft or whatever, it's just that brand name has con- been synonymous with that thing or action or whatever. So yes. Yes. So I think that's it. And here's just one definition of systemic racism, but I, I want to talk about this because 
I don't think we can change the conversation, the narrative, or even really move forward until we understand the language and like the applied yes. meaning. But this says systemic racism, aka institutional racism, is racism racism on a grand scale, present in political and social societal organizations. It describes when racism becomes so ingrained, it's seen as normal. The term institutional racism first came about in 1967 when it was used by Stokely Carmichael and Charles V. Hamilton in Black Power, The Politics of Liberation. And that's from the Metro News of the UK. Um, that's a short version. But can we unpack that a little bit? On as We far certainly as, can. Um, <laughs> I'll let you go. Um, so systematic racism is ingrained in our country. You know, our police force was started as slave catchers. Okay, so these are systematic things that happen when it comes to voter oppression, you know, where there's black people who are told that they can't vote. Are you supposed to be here? Oh, no, the polls are closed. Oh, no, you can't be here. And so there are systematic things put in place to not allow black people to thrive in this country. So a lot of black people need to know their rights. So that's why they say like, hey, if you go to the polling place and they tell you you can't vote, but you're there before they close, you can because you have to know your rights. When it comes to education, um, our history is not taught alongside white history, you know, and even now it's barely taught in February. There are a ton of schools who do not teach black history, month, black history during February and their excuse is but we teach about the same people all the time. But there's not just like four black people in history that you can talk about. <laughs> like, I'm very confused. Like that, again, it's just an excuse, you know, like, well, we don't really have to do it because like, we always talk about Harriet Tubman and, Ma and Martin Luther King. So like, we can take a year off when there's so many people who have contributed to what is happening in this country, systematic racism, the textbooks that we read, you know, when they are changing the textbooks, instead of saying slaves, they're saying workers. That's systematic racism. There are There's a problem within even just our justice system where black people get harsher sentencing than white people. There was literally two crimes. It was the same exact crime. It was, and neither one of them, both of them needed to be sentenced. I'm not saying that no one needed to be sentenced like the black man needed to get off. I'm not saying that at all. But there was a black man in New York who had a sexual assault charge with this with this um, woman. She didn't remember what happened. We saw the white man in California who had the same issue. The white man, this is how systematic it is. The white man on TV is shown with his university picture. Oh, he's such an upstanding citizen. Oh, blah, 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 blah. He just made a mistake. We can't really judge him on this mistake that he made. The black man is accosted in public, in the media. How dare he? These cases were literally going on at the same exact time. If a black person is shot by the police or whatever, their mugshot is put up. If there's a white criminal, they get the sweetest picture of that person they could find possible. That is systematic racism. When you have someone, when they have... You know, and it's the myths that are created as far as like more black, like black women are the highest people to receive welfare. That is a myth. That is a falsity. You can go and Google it and get the statistics. White women are the biggest receivers of welfare, point blank period. So 
but they make it a lot harder for black women also because you cannot have a spouse or a two-person income to receive said welfare. So that's breaking up black families. The school to prison pipeline, systematic, where we're not also not funding for our schools. We don't have books to take home like white schools do. Our schools have larger class sizes. All of these things are happening in black and brown neighborhoods. There's a thing called a food desert where we are not, we do not have access to fresh food. That is systematic racism to where when white people move into a neighborhood in a predominantly black neighborhood, oh, now the Whole Foods can come. Oh, now the Trader Joe's can come. Where are the markets? There are no markets in these black and brown neighborhoods, so they're having to, to eat all of the fast food because they don't have access to fresh produce. Um, it's also where pay disparities, systematic racism, to where me and even just a white man or a white woman can be doing the same job my pay is all the way down the line. Women get paid less than men. Then I, the last thing that I saw, Asian women and Asian men get paid more than white men and white women. Oh. Then it's white women and white men, like prospectively or respectively, like not together because they're not getting paid equally. But, and then it's, um, I think it's like Latina women and then it's black women. So when you're not getting the same amount of money for the same job that someone else is getting, you don't have the access to the things that they have the access to. So when Chris Rock says like, you know, he's a huge celebrity. He's like, everybody in my neighborhood is dentist. It's no black dentists that live in my neighborhood. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's like, I'm a celebrity. Not that he should be in like some special neighborhood, but that's how much there is a pay disparity between races. That is systematic racism. There are things set up to be like, okay, so how do we disrupt the norm? How do we keep them oppressed? Redlining, huge problem when it came to who got loans, where housing was going to be. People are constantly displaced. You know, it is a problem. If I can urge allies to do anything it would definitely be stop gentrifying our neighborhoods. Yeah. Please. We know you want lower rent, but we also want lower rent. Yeah. And people are getting displaced out of their homes and getting priced out of their neighborhoods because you have now moved in because you wanted cheaper rent. Yeah. And that is a problem. Fight for these neighborhoods. If you want to see them win, fight for them. Do you, I mean, with that and that, cause that to me is, I completely agree, but that is to me like the, these big conglomerates, you know, they come in, they buy land, they can make these big maneuvers. Like these are big companies, like a few people controlling a lot of the chips. Yeah. And I don't, the, the reason why they're starting to buy the products is they're like, white people live here. We need to make it better. Right. That is why they're doing it. Corporations aren't coming here and being like, oh, there's no white people. I need to like revamp the neighborhood. They don't care about black and brown neighborhoods. Yeah. The only time they start caring is when they're like, oh, wait, there's like five white people that live over here. Maybe more white people want to move over here, but let me make it safe for them, safer for them so they can move over here. Yeah. You know, the, you just see it the way that neighborhoods transform. And it's sad to say that like neighborhoods get better or are more built up when white people start to move there. 
But then you also have people who are getting literally like pennies on the dollar for homes that they lived in for 20, 30, 40 years Mm -hmm. because you decided you wanted cheaper rent. Fight for these neighborhoods to be better without you in them. Yeah. I hope that conversation, because I, I think that's one piece of it. We haven't heard a lot of it. Perhaps it's just me because I'm in a gentrified neighborhood a thousand percent. I've been in um, my great, great grandmother's house. My family's been up here mm-hmm. uh, and different podcasts, but I've seen it and I, I, I understand what it is. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I, I get it from a business perspective because that's yeah. capitalism. Uh, I don't, I, I just, I don't know how we genuinely sell people on not going after cheaper rent. Like, I, I just think this conversation needs to go. So it's more of like a, a consciousness, just like everything else. Yeah. Um, I just don't think But my thing is fight for it in your neighborhood. Yeah. 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 You know what I'm saying? Fight for the cheaper rent in your neighborhood fight to see like, Hey, this is ridiculous. And I get it. Like everybody wants a break, but like when you're out, I saw these two white men who were at Afropunk literally petitioning for cheaper rent in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. You're the reason why the rent is no longer cheap. You cannot be out here like, oh my God, oh my God, we now want cheaper rent. You're the reason why there's no cheaper rent. You're the reason why the rent went up. You cannot now come in and be like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. Yeah. Like people are getting displaced. It's no longer like, oh, I just need like a cheaper place to stay. Your cheaper rent is pushing people out of their homes. It's literally like giving people pennies on the dollar. And the problem is like, I would love for us to all live in harmony. I would love for us to all live together. It would be great. But when a black person moves into a white neighborhood, the amount of hate and racism and things that that person gets, like we don't, it it doesn't go both ways. And that's the problem. Like it doesn't go that like, okay, so now I've made it or now I've gotten some money so I can move into this better neighborhood. And it just happens to be predominantly white. And I'm going to be met with open arms. There's a whole Reddit thread on black people being called by, called the police on by their neighbors or by people who literally, it's like, you're just minding your own business. And one of them that stood out to me was like this black man, they had, I guess, an area where you could fish on the, the neighborhood that he lived in. And the police showed up and he just looked at him and said, let me guess, one of my white neighbors called the police on me again. That is a problem. Yeah. I've heard even, and I don't know the real estate hard facts, but I've heard that even impacts the comps, like the value of your home when it's mm-hmm. more of, it's less white of a neighborhood. And I don't know the hard facts. I just heard that. And the, the part that strikes me about home ownership is that's a key piece into generational wealth. So when you mm-hmm. don't provide opportunity to own your home and like really, you, you know, own a piece of land that goes on to generations and impacts generations. So, and that, and like homeownership to me is also, again, the dollar, it's really important to, to build that generational wealth and, you know, have the trickle felt for your, for your kids and your kids, kids. Um, but that's the thing, like where we aren't given the opportunities for generational wealth, you know, because back in the day when it came to redlining and things like that, it's like, okay, so if we can make these neighborhoods, the white neighborhoods and these neighborhoods, the black neighborhoods, we don't have to give you a loan for this. You know, and so it's like, I can't get the business loan that you may be able to get KO. I can't get the the home loan that you may be able to get or the interest rate that you may be able to get. So now that's, again, another way of systematic racism that people are like, oh, you can't buy this. Just like if I go into Ferragamo, okay, and they're problematic and um, go in there and someone's following me around or telling me like, oh, well, you know, that costs this much money. Did I ask you how much it costs? Why are you counting my coins? 
Yeah. Like I'm, I'm shopping. You're like, and, and this boils my, like I'm here for, you know, I've worked retail, but at the end of the day, I'm shopping and you work here. How are you going to count my coins? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like if you didn't work here, could you afford the clothes that are here? Like, don't come at me about my purse. Okay. Because ma'am, I like, I'm, I'm in a clapback season, KO. Okay. Good thing hey. you're not out here shopping. Cardio. So <laughs> I, get, I, and I, I don't laugh because it's like hard and I just, I, I am in myself. I myself am continuously learning. I've learned from this conversation. I mm -hmm. don't consider myself like one of the good white people that know, cause that's not it. And like every, I, I've said this to one of my other black friends, I've more, I've never been nervous about having a podcast. Do I fear saying the wrong thing? Yes. More mm -hmm. than I think nothing. No, but it, it's, it's such sensitive times. I don't want to contribute to the problem, but I know even my journey is evolving and I'm learning and there's so much still to be learned. I just want to do whatever I can to, to be, to, to forward change. Yeah. But see, the thing is as an ally, okay, you're going to make mistakes. Yeah. It is okay. Like you're not always going to say the right thing. Like I said, one of my really, really good friends was just like, Oh, you know, I'm so distraught over what's happening. I'm like, man, you haven't asked me how I'm doing at all. Right. You know, like we're going to have a conversation about that, yeah. but it's not, you're not going to say the right thing all the time. You literally are put into a system that you have to unlearn. Yeah. And that's okay because you're not going to be able to unlearn everything in like five minutes. You're not, you're not going to say the right thing all the time. But when I call you out on it, how do you react to me calling you out? And, and I don't believe in accosting people. I'm not that person that's going to be like, you're wrong. And da, 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 da. Like, no, like I'm not going to yell at people, but I am going to have a conversation with you. Are you getting defensive? Do you, is your white fragility now coming out? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like if I say, Hey, KO, I love you. But what you said was a little racist. Are you going to be like, oh, I'm not a racist. I didn't call you a racist. I said, what you said was racist. We're still, you have to, you're learning. I can give you grace for that. Yeah. But when you come at me, like I'm not a racist, ma'am, I didn't even call you a racist. I just said that that statement, which I know you didn't mean to be offensive by, but it is offensive. Yeah. So I'm letting you know that so that you don't say it again. But people get very defensive and want to be like, I'm not a racist. And we see it play out when these white celebrities get their DNA done and they find out that their ancestor owned slaves. I'm sorry. You're from America. Why are you surprised? Like, I just, it, it like baffles me when I'm like, Y'all are really surprised by this. I mean, Hollywood's like, own situation, but yes. I, you know, like, I mean, I'm just like, why are y'all surprised that you're like, we're not saying that you're a slave owner. Your ancestors were slave owners. There's a lot of white people whose ancestors were slave owners. It's okay. But what are you doing now to not perpetuate the sins of your ancestors? That's the bigger conversation. We don't care what your ancestors did. Acknowledge it and let's move on. Yes, slavery did happen. Don't tell us, oh, forget it. It was 400 years ago, this and the third. People cannot forget the Holocaust. We never forget 9-11. But we, as Black people, have to forget what happened to us for centuries. I, I completely, and I, I really love obviously the message, but like you just said, I think there's so much to take race aside for a fraction of a second, How, yeah. your ability, the, your grace to, to manage conflict and then resolution. Mm -hmm. I think that step is even notable of, of how you operate because 
humans, we don't always know how to communicate. And then you add intention. It's hard. So I think it's noteworthy to pull back and even say your grace and your ability to, with conflict and resolution is, yeah, is a big piece of the puzzle because you, we need that before we even get to the hard conversation and open minds and letting go of ego and all those things. Yeah. If people can just know it's so worth it when you can just get to the other side and continue to have that process and then be able to like cultivate a friendship, cultivate change. Um, there's just, there's such great rewards with, within evolution. It, it's so necessary. And I would say for the black listeners, we've been talking about advice for the white listeners, um, for the black listeners, we, I do have a podcast. It's a dating podcast for black millennials. Okay. Did I admit you, did you tell me you did have a podcast? Um, it's been on my page. You know me, I don't be coming out and everybody's like, Hey, go follow this. I just be putting it up and they're like, if you see it, you see it. If not. Okay. Um, but yes, <laughs> we do have, I do have a podcast with a friend of mine. It's called boot up still loading. It is actually hilarious. I'm sorry. Yes. Carry on. <laughs> um, and it's about black millennial dating. So this week we actually hijacked our own podcast to talk about what was happening here in America and like really get to it. And in that, I gave advice to black people who are faced with ignorant white people, not racist white people, ignorant white people. There is a difference. Um, and the thing is, you have to listen to them. Don't interrupt. Listen to everything that they have to say. So I had a coworker. There were two examples that I had to correct him on, but I had a coworker and he was, you know, up in arms. I don't know why, but some kind of way we got on this subject of this black woman who went to school with him, got a scholarship that he felt like he deserved and his family was less well off than her family. So he deserved that scholarship. So I took all of the information in. Okay. That's what you have to do. You have to take all of it in. You have to listen, be an active listener because you have to understand why they feel the way that they do. So you can properly dispel their ignorance. So once I listened, processed the information, I said, okay, exercise, okay? I said, look on this floor. We're engineering floor. I said, look on this floor. How many women do you see? He said, two. I said, how many black women do you see? He said, zero. I said, that is why she got the scholarship. His eyes started to get wide. I said, there are scholarships to diversify industries that are predominantly white and male. That is why she got the scholarship. And I said, on the flip side of that, I said, I went to an all black college. If you would have come to my school, you would have gotten a scholarship because you were the minority. <gasps> I would have, you would have. And so his mind started turning Everything, I dispelled everything that he was saying and all of the things that he was ignorant about as to why she got the scholarship over him and the fact that he could have also gotten a scholarship if he decided to come to a place where he was a minority. And his eyes were, were open to that. You know, you just have to listen so that you can respond accordingly. And I'm not, like, I'm not, and he will tell you, I'm not a hand-holding person. I'm not going to be like, let's walk down the street, okay, and talk about racism. I told him in a very matter-of-fact way, like, okay, so let's let's unpack this. I feel like that's... Let's unpack what you said. Like, that. that's that's kind <laughs> from my perspective. It's, 
But that's the thing. When people are, when there's a system set up in place for you to be ignorant and to say ignorant things, I have to respond in an intelligent way. I cannot respond to ignorance with ignorance because no one gets anywhere. If I, if I went to him and was like, cut him off right in the beginning, it was like, uh-uh, I don't want to hear this. That black woman oh, needed that scholarship, blah, 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 blah. He wouldn't have walked away with anything. Right. He would have been like, oh Lord, I can't talk to Raven about nothing. Right. You know? And so when that experience happened, he was more inclined to listen to me when he was ignorant about other things, such as affirmative action. You know, when you're ignorant about affirmative action and just think that affirmative action is just to place black people wherever just for diversity's sake, you know, you need to, you need to talk about that. That's an ignorant thing. He's not racist, but he's ignorant. He's saying that like the world is telling him this. So he believes it. So now I need to tell him why that is not true. And if I just go off on the handle, or if I just say, I don't want to hear it, he's not learning. And now I don't have an ally. Right. But if I talk to him and I say, okay, let's, again, let's think this through. You know, when it came to the affirmative action conversation, he thought that this black woman and his dad's company, you know, because this is very generational. Racism is generational and we know this. So he thought that this black woman in his company came in because of affirmative action, that his dad and his colleagues should have got the position that she was in and this, that, and the third. Okay, cool. And he said, you know, I was like, okay. So it was affirmative action. She literally just got this because she was a black woman. Let's unpack the facts though. He had told me this black woman was transferred or relocated from Florida. So I literally just had to say one thing. I said, so you're telling me that there were no black people who could have filled this quota between North New York and Florida? (laughs) Or was she the most qualified person for the job? That's why they relocated her from Florida. And he was like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. Because they. the thing is, America doesn't put things in place for white people to have to think that way. Yeah. And, and that's just what it is. We're not saying that you created the system. We're just saying that you benefit from the system and then recognize that. So when he was, when his eyes were opened, it was like, oh, hmm. Yeah. She could be right. I'm like, because I was like, there's a lot of states in between New York and Florida that they could have found a black person. Well, I think we're really used to, and we, I mean, I say white people uh, and some Americans in general are that victim mentality, like the world Mm -hmm. happening to me. And that's a whole psychological conversation. Um, But victim mentality is a huge piece of it. The conversation as well, because it's, oh, it's, everything's happening to me and da da da, And it's, you can't get your mind out of that. Then it's, it's hard to change some other things, but um, it's hard because when we talk about white, white privilege and People are like, but I had to struggle. Um, when it comes to white privilege, no one's saying that you didn't have to struggle. No one's saying that you never had to fight for something. No one is saying that you have white privilege and that you are a racist. You know, like no one is saying that like you had it easy or that your family was well off. No one is saying that. 
All we're saying is that you can navigate and go through this country in a way that I cannot. Yeah. And that is a problem. I have to think about things or talk to my children about things that you don't have to talk to your children about. I don't, you don't have to talk to your children about how to encounter the police and survive. Right. That's not a conversation you ever have to have. But this is conversations that millions of Black people are having to make sure that their son or daughter comes home safely and not at like 16. These conversations are being had at like 10, seven, you know what I'm saying? So it's not like, okay, like he kind of looks like a man. So let me do this. No, police are out here drawing. Like they shot Tamir Rice before they even got out the car. Good. He was 10. He was 10 or 12. I mean, but, um, yeah, he was a child. So like, this is the problem. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, it's unbelievable. And I think, um, the hate you give is a really good movie. Mm -hmm. If you've never seen anything in a lot, the good news is I think some of these like movies and I'm obsessed with documentaries and it's, of course, we'll never fully understand abuse in it, but I think these are phenomenal resources to, to have some perspective on things. Yeah. And if you don't want to read a full book or whatever, you know, again, uh, the the laziness air quotes of our, of some American. Watch a movie. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just do the work. There's sources out there that can kind of streamline process and it's a continuing education. Um, I, there's so many directions I want to go, but I really do want to be mindful of your time and energy. I know you've got a bunch of things. Uh, I worry, appreciate you. Um, can you, I, I, I mean, straightforward question. Are you hopeful for the future? Like I, I see our young people and I, I see hope. I know much work, but like in, in the thick of things, like the center of the tornado right now, do you, do you see light at the end of the tunnel? Are you hopeful for things? I am hopeful for things, um, but I think that I saw I saw a tweet, and I think this summed it up perfectly. Like, white people, what are you doing to make sure that your children don't kill mine? Yeah, and that's just as simple as it is. How are you stopping generational racism? You know, with George Floyd, I've seen pictures of white men and white boys who have their knee on someone's neck and taking photos. So it's not that like, you know, this is a, our parents thing. You know, this is our, you know, this is my generation's thing. How are we stopping this? And so when I see little white boys playing with their friends by having a knee on their neck, I'm not hopeful. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I'm not. Yeah. But because of the uprising of the world at this point, it is no longer, you know, just black Americans fighting for equality It's the world fighting for equality of black Americans and black people. Um, they have to listen. There is no time to not listen anymore. So I'm hopeful for those things. Um, I was on a call this week and we were just talking about, you know, what would Jesus do? And then we were talking about like, what is, what is the change? What is, what is the thing that's going to happen? Like, do we call for a whole new, you know, police system? Is that even feasible? You know, like, how is it, how do we rectify an entire system? And that's just one part of it. Because there's a huge problem with the medical system. There's a huge problem with the education system. And we're hoping that this is just a start to overturn all of these institutions um, but there's a bigger fight, you know, than just police brutality that is here, you know, black women's mortality rate when it comes to giving birth is astronomical. 
because their their doctors just do not pay attention to their symptoms. So for whatever reason, we're seen as over-exaggerative. Oh, they're, they're, it's kind of crazy because it's a two-edged sword. We're seen as very weak and that our symptoms are not as serious as they are, but then we're also seen as very strong and that we can withstand bullets. Hmm. So it's a very weird thing. I'm like, I, I don't understand it because I'm like, you really can't have it both ways, but whatever. Um, but they perceive black people as stronger than they are. But then it's also like, why are you complaining about these symptoms? And then you find out that, you know, people have to have emergency C-sections when they've been complaining about things for weeks. So strength should be a medical measurement tool. Like regardless of how strong you are, there's symptoms you, I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but yes, it seems- no, it's, it's quite insane. Yeah. Um, but again, this, this is privilege to where when you KO look for a doctor, you don't have to make sure that your doctor is listening to your symptoms. You can go to any doctor you want. I have to make sure that I'm going to either a black doctor or I'm going to a doctor who will really understand and listen to me. I've had to fight to get tests and be like, no, you are going to test for this because something is wrong. You are going to send me to this specialist because something is wrong. You know, thankfully I do have a white doctor now who is like, she's volunteering stuff. She's like, look, this keeps happening. So you need to go to this doctor. This is happening with this. So you need to go see this specialist. Like she's like, okay, this persists. You need to go see this person. You know, I don't have to tell her my symptoms over and over and over again for like months and months and months before she listens or just like have to go do the research myself to figure out what kind of doctor I need to see. I don't have to do that. And a lot of white people don't have to do that. You know, it's like, hey, these are my symptoms. It might be this. Let's test for it. Okay, it might be this. I need to send you to this doctor. There is no like, oh, are you sure? Like, oh, I just, I, I think you're fine. I've, I've heard that from doctors. You're oh, fine. I believe it. The medical system. I mean, again, each, like you just said, each thing is really its own conversation. And yeah. there is, there is so much that has to change. Uh, so much work that needs to be done. Yeah. This is only the tip of the iceberg people. This is only the tip. And we're hoping that with change in this system, it will bring light to other systems. It will be like, okay, yeah, we got this, but uh, y'all not over here um, being just, like oblivious to this either. Like it's a lot going on over here. And as this is going on, you know, I have a friend who's fighting for injustice in the fashion industry and calling people out. Like y'all not gonna be over here with these empty statements of like, we're with the black people. And, you know, people are calling for businesses to really step up, like put up or shut up. Like we don't want to hear, like I said, your little cute little post. Where's your executive board? Where your executive is at your company? Human. Are they like, do you have black people? Yes. What is the percentage of black people that are on these boards and executives, you know? And I think we're in a time where it all is getting called out. Yeah. We're all putting everything on the line and they're like, okay, so if we're going to open this can, we about to open all the cans. Cause y'all not about to sit here and be like, we're with black people, but you have no black people in your executive staff. You have no black people at a VP level. Like, no, you're not for black people. So again, just calling out these empty statements and these empty donations, like I'm really supporting companies who this is what they're about, you know, like a Ben and Jerry's, like a Google, they've been doing this for years. Yeah. Who has programs for our people? 
that is who I'm, I'm supporting. If you're just out here like, oh, we're giving like $20,000, the $20,000 will definitely help. Mm-hmm. But what are you doing past that? What are you doing tomorrow? What are you doing next week? Like mm-hmm. what initiatives are you putting forth in your business to make sure that your staff is more diverse? Um, there's an initiative for 15% of shelf space to be occupied by black businesses. And a spa here that I've, I've gone to once or twice here in New York sent me an email and said, we are stocking our, our shelves, you know, after COVID with 15% of black businesses. Okay. And that's what we're doing. Like, they're like, we have taken the challenge and we're doing that. Like, what are you doing? If you say that black lives matter, show us. Yeah. Don't just tell us, show us. Yeah. And that's what we're asking for now. We're asking for change in, in so many different areas. That's not just the police brutality, but it's like, you can't, piggyback off our movement. You can't come over here for publicity's sake and be like, oh, but we also are fighting for police brutality and Black Lives Matter. But do they matter in your company? Do they matter in your shelf space? Right. Because if not, you can you can keep your little, your black square. You can keep your little post. You can keep your little hands. Okay? You can keep all that. Yeah. I, I, hope, I, I think that um, I'm so with you. I'm so impressed with some of these companies that are, are coming out now and really highlighting what they've been doing for a while. And when you spoke about the generation, what I like to see now at the protests is it is young people out there. So I'm mm-hmm. hoping that even if they're coming from a family that is racist or, you know, they grew up and lived a certain way, they can be infiltrated with the positive side of the media and these messages and maybe question a better way on their own. Yeah. Break that cycle. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of young people who are speaking out. So I'm very hopeful for the people who are at, who are having the tough conversations with their parents. You know, I just saw a video before I jumped on this podcast of this woman really challenging the beliefs of her parents and being like, this doesn't make it like what you're saying makes no sense. Yeah. You know, and I think that if you are to have a conversation, because I felt bad for her, because I do feel like she was put up against a wall and she wasn't super informed about all of the facts and figures that she could have brought up call your black friends. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it is really not our job to educate you, but you can Google, we can point you to some like resources to find. I've told people, I'm like, if you don't know what to post, my DMS are open. I can read your post and tell you if it's accurate or not. Um, but I felt like she needed an ally, you know, as a black person, I needed to be her ally in her conversation with her parents, not in the room, But to give her the ammo, that's like, okay, so your parents are probably going to say this. So then you got to say this. And then they're probably going to say this. So you need to say this because that is how you make change. Yeah. It is dispelling these, you know, and her parents weren't racist. They were just ignorant. They were super ignorant. Yeah. But it's like, she was very passionate about what she was saying, which needs to happen. Like you need to call up, call them out. But by the end of the video, their ideas didn't change because she didn't have the facts to back it up. Right. So it's like, you got to have these things in conjunction with talking to your parents and having these conversations about why Black Lives Matter, why the people are protesting, why these things are happening, what actually happened to them as to why this is an issue today, you know, but it's hopeful. You know, I see these and I felt my heart wrenched for the little white girl who was, I think she was like either tear gassed or pepper sprayed, you know, and they were pouring, um, 
milk in her eyes. You know, I'm like this woman when, when she becomes a woman, like she will never forget this. Yeah. You know, like the police are reckless right now. It doesn't matter if you're a white, black or other that you are getting beat. Okay. You're getting run over with police vehicles. Like they are just reckless. And I understand that police are also in a very strenuous time right now. They're working longer hours. They're working under extreme conditions. You know, it doesn't excuse their behavior, but it's like when you have a heightened situation with people who are also heightened, chaos is going to ensue, Yeah, you know, because they're going to be at their wits end and they're like, and then it's like the protesters who could, who would not all of them, but they're peaceful. These people are already on a thousand. Yeah. So they're coming at a thousand and these people are at a hundred. And so now it's like, you can't be at a hundred and a thousand. Like, and it's, it's a hard thing to do, you know, to be like, okay, so how do we do this peacefully? And we've seen some amazing peaceful protests where the police have been in line with people and saying like, look, we stand with you. We're going to march with you. You know, they're not showing up in SWAT uniforms. They're not doing that. Right. And we see how peaceful those are. But then we also see the policemen, and I think he was in Minnesota, breaking open windows and blaming it on the protesters. There's a there's white people who are also sheep in wolf's clothing that are spray painting on buildings and things, mm-hmm. well, you know. So it's like you have to call them out. You have to ask, why are you here? And it's sad that we have to do that. But some some of you, some of your brethren, okay, are out here on false pretenses. Yeah. So you you may even have to ask a white person. So what? what why are you here? Yeah, it's because we we got to make sure that these black people are not being this stuff is not being put on them. Like, oh, they're vandalizing. Actually, that was two white protesters. Yeah. I've seen multiple social media examples of that. And it was, and the black people were literally saying, we didn't ask you to do that. Please don't spray paint. They're like, please stop doing this. What are you doing? They're like, they're going to blame it on us. And we didn't even do it. You know? And the the cop who was knocking out the windows, his ex-wife was like, that's so-and-so. I know what he looked, he tried to be in a gas mask. They had this umbrella and all this other stuff. And like literally protesters were following him to make him stop. They were like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Please stop. You know, police are putting bricks, pallets of bricks places to ensue riots, to ensue these things. So it's not that like, I'm not saying that every riot happened this way, but the police are also perpetuating this. There's no reason that a pile of bricks should just be in the middle of nowhere. And there's no construction happening. There's no nothing. Right. It's, I mean, you just, it's it kind of the underlying tone of the conversations. You have to educate yourself, get good people mm-hmm. around you, good friends, good consultants, lean into the media, but know that there's a filter, lean into your family, yep. friends, know that there's a filter and just try and arm yourself with knowledge and open-mindedness and just really stand in humble ground. Uh, and I, I speak as a white person saying those things, I, uh, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a tough step forward, but I think we are mm-hmm. taking it. I hope we're taking yes. it. Um, but I appreciate you, Raven. You are somebody of on course. lines of change and I hope you can take moments to take care of you, take care of your mind, take care of your heart. That's uh, that's this weekend. Cause today I was like, Oh Lord, I'm doing a lot today. So I was like, let me make sure that over this weekend I am off social media. So I am taking a much needed break from Instagram um, because it is, you know, it has been nine days straight. So, um, of just seeing images, posting things, speaking out against things and I'm a bit exhausted. Okay. So I need to take a break for about two days. And it's also good because I just need to focus on what I need to do for the future and making a change 
and a lasting change for my community. So if I'm exhausted, I can't do that. Um, so I'm just trying to push out and get things together, um, and recenter myself so I can be a better asset to my community. Yes. And that's wise words across the board. Uh, I appreciate you. I care about you. I, I have. Thank you so much. Thank uh, you. Thank you. And please reach out. I'm not going to ask you what can white people do. Just go to Ravens. Uh, <laughs> and, and there's, you know, piles of advice and actionable items and steps and everything. Yes. So please check her out. Uh, Raven, I will put everything up there, but where do we find you? If you just want to name your IG. Mm-hmm. You can find me at underscore Raven Roberts. You can, um, I'm posting videos on YouTube. So it's just Raven Roberts style, or you can go to my blog, which is style.ravenroberts.com. Um, I do have in my bio on my IG, I have a link, um, to some resources that I created in case you just don't know what to say, or you don't know what to post. Um, sometimes the images are very jarring, so it is a lot. So I've created some just black and white images of quotes and, you know, Black Lives Matter, the Black Fist, um, and that you can talk to underneath that. I would like to say this one quote before we leave so that people understand. um, This was probably one of the most powerful quotes that I've seen um, that I think that, especially when it comes to allyship, that people need to understand because there are a lot of people speaking out of like, why are they doing this? This is unproductive and blah, 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 blah. So it says, do not, this is by Bryant McCall, McGill, sorry, Bryant McGill. And it says, do not make the mistake of thinking that you have to agree with people and their beliefs to defend them from injustice. Hmm. So well said. And I was like, Ooh, I said, yes, yes. You said that you said that. So, um, that is what I've been spewing because there is no, there's no excuse to not fight for injustice. You may not like the way that I do it. You may not condone um, some of the things that I say, but if you realize that there's an injustice in this country and your excuse is, I don't like the way that you're fighting, but how are you fighting? We just need. You may not like the way that I'm fighting, but what are you doing? Because nine times out of 10, you're doing nothing right. and you're criticizing the way that I'm fighting. So I just encourage people, even if you don't agree with the protests, Um, as far as how people are protesting or what people are saying, then you can still fight for injustice. You know, if you say all lives matter, a black man was killed. Yeah. Why doesn't his life matter? Right. I, it's, I hope the conversation to be continued on so many things. I hope, and please know, I, I, you know, I said this now, the Mike to McKinsey is literally for these conversations Mm -hmm. at any point in time, you have something to say. And if it's a 20 second statement or a two hour monologue, whatever, (laughs) I'm here. And this is what it's about. This is what it's for. Um, I'm accessible and I'm here to support change if possible. So well, you know, I love you, Kayo. Okay. You have always been an ally since the day that I met you. So I appreciate your platform. I appreciate you giving voices to those who don't always have a voice um, or their voices are not always heard. So I appreciate you more than you know. And I'm just so grateful for this platform and for you using your voice to amplify those um, who are sometimes made to be silent. Thank you. And I hope one day if we both have kids, they can play together. Oh, and they definitely can play together. I'm like, if you don't go over there, it's Kale's house. I'll let, I'll leave let me alone. <laughs> I love it. All right. I will see you soon. I'm not kidding. Yes. Needed, um, and let's keep in touch, please.
We definitely will. Thank you so, so much for this platform. And I cannot wait to share it. I cannot wait for us to just continue having these conversations. And if you ever need a statement or anything like that, a soundbite for anything, I'm here. Um, but we're, I'm doing a, I'm actually about to do a live at four. Um, okay. I kept looking at the, the time and we're going to be talking about white privilege. And then Philip Lim is going to be on um, after I go on, which I'm very excited about. So, um, so yeah, I think I'm trying to see if they sent me the flyer. Go get, have some time to go pee and eat. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I need to go to the bathroom just real quick. But I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I will be talking to you very soon. I love you. My heart is with you. And I just appreciate all the work that you're doing. Thank you. I love you. I'm here for you. And like I said, let's definitely keep in touch. No, we definitely will. Okay. We're texting friends now. Yes, okay? I had you in my phone. I don't know why I DM'd you and I had your number, you know, we're just, I had your number too. And I was like, I was like, Oh yeah. I was like, I have her number. I was like, it, it happens all the time. One it's the, okay. One of the seven channels. I'll reach out to you the bat signal. Yes. Yes. Have a wonderful day. And I'll talk to you soon. You too. Good luck with all. Thank you for joining Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Tune in next time and don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.